Hey, good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. It's great to have you here. I can't think of a better place I'd rather be than at church to kick off the new year. It's hard to believe that we're in 2018 and it makes me wonder where 2017 went. It just went by so quickly. And one of the things I try to do at the beginning of every year is to reflect and to think about not only the new year and all that God might have in store for the new year, but also reflect back on the last year. And I, and I, so I took some time to do that. And, and uh, I, I realized that there were four events that took place last year that, that had a profound effect upon me. And then I really carry into the new year. It really shaped my life. And I want to tell you about those. And, and you're probably familiar with them. If you've been around here, you're, you're probably familiar with them because I've spoken about them uh, throughout the year. But the first one occurred at the beginning of 2017 when I had the opportunity to travel to, um, with a fantastic organization called Compassion International to Cayambe, uh, Ecuador. This place right here, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere in South America. Cayambe is a small town in the Andes, and it is uh, located, is considered to be right in the center of the world. They, they say it is in the center of the world, and right on this spot, this is the center of the world. And the best part of the trip, though, was, was not standing in the middle of the world, as they call it, but it was meeting and interacting with, with dozens and dozens of Ecuadorian children who live in extreme poverty. And that was really the purpose of the trip, to understand the need, the enormous need in Ecuador, and to see the work that Compassion International was doing through their child sponsorship program, which can lift children out of poverty and also share Christ with them. And this is a photo I took inside the church where we had the opportunity to serve a couple hundred kids uh, a meal that they get because of sponsorship. A second event that affected me deeply and which really shattered my heart last year was when we lost one of our high school students uh, in a tragic car accident, Jesse Esforce, you might remember, 16 years old, was a star baseball player at South High School. And he was taken from us very early. And this kid really loved the Lord uh, with all his heart. And this one really broke my heart as parents were here last night. A third event that impacted me deeply in 2017 was the shooting in Las Vegas. And uh, many of you remember that. And this one affected not only me, but it affected a lot of people because a lot of people in our church because many of you had friends and family members that were affected by this or knew somebody who was affected by this and on the second morning after the the shooting on a whim pastor greg and i decided we jumped in the car and we drove to las vegas we decided that we just needed to be there for whatever reason we needed to be there and so we got there we arrived tuesday afternoon and uh, the windows in the mandalay bay still had not been replaced. And then we gathered at a makeshift memorial, this one here, right across the street from the hotel, and we had the opportunity to hug and pray for a bunch of people. And it was a very solemn moment for us, and it was one that uh, we will never forget. And then finally, the last event that left a deep impression on me last year was our trip to Rockport, Texas. You might remember if you were here in September, I had the opportunity to lead a team of 15 people from our church to go down to Rockport where we helped with the cleanup effort because in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. And we were just shocked by the devastation and most of us had never seen anything like it. And we had the opportunity through Samaritan's Purse to help a, a few families begin to put their lives back together. I don't know how you put your life back together after losing everything you have, but we, we tried to do that. And there were so many things about this trip that really changed all of our lives. So 
Very quickly, here's what I learned from these four events. First, it reminded me that heartache is alive and well on planet Earth. Heartache and heartbreak and tragedy are alive and well on planet Earth. And you can experience heartache because of a natural disaster. You can experience heartache because of a death or a loss in your family. You can experience heartache because of an illness or a disease. You can experience heartache because of a broken relationship, because of loneliness, because of the evil deeds of others, because of financial misfortunes or unfulfilled dreams. There are a thousand ways that you can experience heartache in your life. And it is alive and well on planet Earth. And and I think of what Jesus said about this in John 16, 33. We'll just put this verse up here for you. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. In the world you will have trouble and you will have heartache and heartbreak. And here in these last days, I believe we're living in the last days, I believe that tribulation and heartache will only increase, will not decrease. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. And so that's one thing I learned, that heartache is alive and well on planet Earth through these four events. The second lesson I learned reminded me that God is also alive and well on planet Earth. God is alive, and He is greater than our heartaches. He is greater than all of our tribulations. And I saw, I saw God in, in all these four events. I saw the joy of the Lord in a small hut in Ecuador, um, on a, with a family, a family of five. Here's a, a, a mother with her three children. I saw the joy of the Lord in her life. Um, they live on less than a dollar a day. And I saw she couldn't stop crying because we brought her a sack of beans and a sack of rice. And just tears just flowed. And we had the opportunity to talk to her children and pray for her. And she was so thankful that two of her children were involved, had sponsors through Compassion. And they get a meal they get a, a three square meals a day uh, at the program. And so she's really thankful for that. I saw God at Jesse's service when hundreds of people raised their hands for the very first time to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I don't know if you can see the hands, but they're just multitudes of hands that went up at the invitation. I saw God, we saw God on Las Vegas Boulevard. He was there. And I saw God in Texas in the aftermath of the costliest natural disaster ever to hit the United States. Here, Donna Mays and uh, Alyssa Finch are praying for another young mother who lost everything, who lost her home, and there's just part of what was left from her home right behind them, and they had the opportunity to pray for her and the the Soto family, Um, just a wonderful family. Jesus is alive and well on planet Earth. And third, these events that happened last year reminded me that the world desperately longs for and needs and responds well to love. The world needs love. The world desperately longs for love. And whether it was South America or Texas or Torrance or Las Vegas, I was surprised at how much grown-ups and children just wanted to be loved and just wanted to be hugged. Yet sadly... There seems to be less and less of it uh, in the world today. Less and less love. And hate is on the rise. Love is growing cold. And, and today, people don't just disagree with you. If they disagree with you because you don't share the same values that they do or you have different political views than they do, they hate you. And it's just gotten to be very, 
very sad today. And that, that brings me to today. Because if there's one tenet by which we ought to live, it is love. If there's one thing the church ought to stand for, if there's one thing the people of God ought to do, it is to love. We ought to love. And that's why we decided to begin this new year with this series called Outrageous Love because I want us to understand love and then go out to the highways and byways of America and do it. Just love on people. And last year, I saw the difference. I saw the difference that a handful of people can make in, when they just loved others. And it made me wonder, what would happen? What would happen if all of us loved, if it wasn't just a handful of people, but what would happen if we all loved each other? What would happen? What if every family in this church, every teenager, every young adult, every old person, every married couple, if we all just loved each other, what would happen? I believe we would change the world. I really believe that. I believe we would change the world. And my hope is that South Bay Community Church would become the epicenter of a tsunami of love that would first flood this church and then sweep out across the South Bay and have a ripple effect on the entire world. That's my, my hope and prayer that will come out of this series. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to unpack what it means to love and how we can love in these difficult days. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be here for every message. And if you miss it, then you can always go to our YouTube page, uh, SBCC Live, and you can catch the messages there. But get caught up. And then I want to encourage all of you to join a small group for this series. Six weeks. We're calling them freeway groups, which means it's easy to get on and it's easy to get off. You're not committed to, to the group after six weeks, although we found that most groups, after they've been together for six weeks, they love it so much, they don't want to stop and they keep going. But we're asking you to commit yourself to a group for just six weeks. Uh, and if you're not ready, we've got hundreds of people in small groups already. We've got over 50 small groups here and we hope to double that here in the next couple years, if not sooner. But we want everyone to join a small group because I believe that your participation in a small group will enhance your experience in this series, Outrageous Love, because we've got something very special planned for all the small groups. And I'll tell you about that here at the end. But if you're not already in a small group, please take a look at the flyer that's in your Baywatch and, and check out a box. And you can always sign up at the uh, Connect station as well in the lobby. Sign up for a small group today. Pastor Dave will get back to you, try to get back to you this week. I hope that so many of you sign up that will drive them crazy this week and make them work. And uh, I also want to urge all of our, your small group, all the small groups, please go through the discussion questions. All right, if you don't mind putting a pause, put, make a timeout on whatever it is you're studying through right now, and then just go through the discussion questions. We'll be providing discussion questions for you after every message so that you discuss what you learned here. And I believe it will, it will enhance your experience tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold. And my hope and prayer is it'll change your life. Um, Today, I want to just lay the groundwork, all right? This is the groundwork for this series. But, be, but before I do, let me just open up our time in a word of prayer. Will you pray with me? Father God, how good it is, how good it is just to, to be at church, to, to come and worship you, to be in, in your house with your people. And God, you know my heart, you know my prayer, God, that, that this would not be just another message that this would not be just another series. But God, I pray desperately, God, I pray that this series, starting with this message today, will be transformative for our church. 
that you would do something so powerful in us, God, that we literally would come out of this and we will have an impact on the world, that we can change the world. And I really believe that you can use, if you use 12 guys to change the world, I believe that you can use hundreds if we all understood what it means to love and what it is that we're supposed to do. And God, I realize that I can't transform anybody. There isn't anything I can say to convince anybody to do anything. And so this transformation can only occur by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each and every person here today. I know you've been speaking to my heart and knocking on my heart, knocking on the door of my heart. I pray that you will do a work in each and every one of us today. God, it, it must be you. So God, I commit this morning to you. I commit this message to you. Do something different in us that we're not the same today. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you brought your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 22, and I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles to church with you because we're going to go, mainly going to stay in the Gospels, but bring, bring your Bible so you can mark it up. And if you didn't, hopefully you received a Baywatch. Uh, and inside of your Baywatch, we have all the verses, or I should say most of the significant verses that we're going to cover today are in your Baywatch. And then all the other, all the verses will be listed on the screen. So um, let me start by saying this. The definitive statement on love, the definitive statement on love was given to us by Jesus in response to a question that was posed to him by a lawyer. Okay, the definitive statement on love was given by Jesus to us in response to a question that was posed to him by a lawyer. We find it in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, starting verse 34. Let me just read the text, and then I'll comment on it. And here's what, here's what it says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All right, this is, this is the context. This is the, the phrase, or this is the, 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 uh, the, the scriptures here. And in verse 39, I want you to underline, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the definitive statement on love given to us by Jesus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, before I explain, unpack all this, explain what it means, let me first give you some background. And this is really important for you to understand this particular passage. It's important for you to understand, and it's fascinating stuff, all right? You might think it's a little boring, but stay with me. I think you'll be amazed. As you probably know, God declared the Jews to be his chosen people. They were his chosen people. And he also promised to give them a land, that they would have their own homeland. It was a land he, that would be flowing with milk and honey. And so he promised to give them a land. And then the Jews went sideways. They kind of got sidetracked. And instead of going into their land, they ended up in Egypt. And they became slaves of the Egyptians. In fact, they were slaves in Egypt. The Jews became slaves in Egypt for 400 years. For 400 years, they were enslaved, held captive in Egypt. And finally, after 400 years of misery, living under, under enslavement, God sent them an emancipator. He sent them a deliverer, someone to deliver them out of their slavery, their bondage in Egypt, and that was Moses. He sent Moses to Egypt to free his people. 
and to lead them out of captivity. And of course, you're probably familiar with the story of how he, they left Egypt and they, they were the 10 plagues and they came and they were, le- they were leaving and the Egyptians were in hot pursuit and they came and they ran right into a block wall called the Red Sea. But God was not going to be stopped. He parted the Red Sea and the Jews fled through the Red Sea while it was still open. They got to the other side and when the pursuing Egyptians followed, the, the Red Sea closed in on them and they all drowned. Well, now they're finally on the other side. The Jews are finally on the other side. They make it. They're now in the Sinai Desert. And they're in the Sinai Desert, and you think they're home free, but they're not because they wander in the desert for 40 years. They wander in the desert for 40 years before they finally enter the Promised Land. And while they were in the desert, God called Moses, their leader, up to Mount Sinai for a little chat. Here's what Mount Sinai in Egypt looks like today. This was the mountain that God called Moses to come up to, to ascend to. And he called him up to the mountain. When Moses went up to the mountain, God came down from heaven upon that mountain, and the two of them had a talk. God spoke to Moses. Now, most people think, I've always thought this, that Moses went up to the mountain twice. He went up there the first time to get the Ten Commandments, and then when he came back down, He broke the Ten Commandments, and so he went back up a second time to get the Ten Commandments, the tablets, all over again so that he would have them in his possession. But the biblical evidence indicates that he went up to Mount Sinai multiple times over many, many days. The first time Moses went up to Mount Sinai was in Exodus 19, verse 3. And I'm going to only put these verses up here for you. I'm not going to read them all to you. But this is the first time he went up to Mount Sinai. It says uh, at the end of verse 2, There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. So this is the first time he went up to Mount Sinai. And then in verse 14, same chapter, Exodus 19, verse 14, it says he came down from the mountain. And then in verse 20, same chapter, Exodus 19, verse 20, he went back up to the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And then in verse 25, he came back down the mountain. And then a few chapters later, in Exodus 24, verse 13, he went back up the mountain. This time he took his assistant Joshua with him, went up to the mountain. And there, this time when he was up at the mountain, he stayed there for 40 days, according to verse 17 and 18. It says the very end, verse 18, and now Moses is on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And then, according to Exodus 32, 15, he came back down the mountain. Take a look at that. He came back down the mountain. And then in verse 31, he went back up to the mountain again, returned to the Lord. And then somewhere along the way, it doesn't tell us when, but he came back down from the mountain because when we get to Exodus chapter 34, two chapters later, verse 4, it says he went back up to the mountain. So many, many times. And then verse 28 tells us that when he was up there, he stayed there for another 40 days. And then in verse 29, he came back down from the mountain. Now, from my count, Moses went up and down the mountain, Mount Sinai, five times. Now, some Jewish scholars believe he went up eight times, but I counted five. And whenever Moses went up to Mount Sinai, He would stay for days. Often he would stay for days, sometimes for 40 days straight, two stretches of 40 days. So we know that he was up there at least 80 days, and we don't know how long he stayed the other times he went up there, but he could have been there for months at a time. And the reason Moses went up to the mountain in the first place 
was so that God could give him a compendium of laws and commandments by which the Jews were to live. This is how they were to live. And of course, the most famous of, the, of these laws that God gave to Moses were the Ten Commandments. But here's what you need to know. God gave Moses more than just Ten Commandments. He didn't give them just Ten Commandments, which explains why he went up there so often and explains the duration of his stays because he received more than Ten Commandments. Moses didn't get Ten Commandments. He received 613 commandments, 613 to be exact. And each command spelled out exactly how the Jews were to live their lives. And the volume of rules and regulations that they were given had to be overwhelming. If you read them all, it would probably make your head spin. In fact, if I were to read to you each of the 613 commandments, it would probably take most of the rest of this morning and into early afternoon for, you, for me to read them all to you because there's so many of them. So I'm not going to read them to you. But somebody actually wrote out each of the 613 commandments, put it on a video, and I want to show it to you right now. And if I were to show it to you at the rate where you are reading each one, then it probably would, we would be here a long time, right? So I asked her to speed it up. So I want you to watch this 613 mosaic laws in 35 seconds. Take a look at this. Now, I'm going to just talk through this. There were so many commands, so many commands that the Jews needed a lawyer to tell them what they could and couldn't do. They needed a lawyer to figure this all out. And it became a source of pride for a Jew to say, I am a very, very religious man because I keep all the commandments. Well, no one could ever keep the commandments. Would you mind just pausing that for a second, Carla? Okay, we're at 400 now, all right? And it says in verse number 11, do not take uh, the Pascal meat from the confines of the group and all this kind of stuff. All, all the, do not break any bones from the second Pascal offering. And all, just all these rules and regulations about how they were to live their you can You can keep running that thing. How they were to live their lives. And now we come to Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus is confronted by a lawyer representing two religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he asks Jesus a question, not for the purpose of gleaning information, but for the purpose of testing him, to put him to the test, to put him on the spot. And the question that the lawyer asked Jesus, we'll put it up here for you again, was this, verse 36, Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, of all the 613 commands you gave to Moses, all those laws, which one is the greatest? Which one is the greatest? Now, here was the, here's what the lawyer was trying to get at. Because, see, nobody was more esteemed and more respected than Moses by the Jews. I mean, he was, he was it because he was the great deliverer. He delivered Israel from uh, the Jews from Egypt. He met with God face to face. He was, God called him the humblest man on earth. And the lawyer was testing Jesus to see whether or not he would contradict Moses. Because if he contradicted Moses, then they could accuse him of being an apostate and a religious fraud and a fake. But God, Jesus knew exactly what he was up to. He was God and he knew exactly what he was thinking. And Jesus did not contradict Moses. His answer came in two parts. Here's the first part. Verse 37, Matthew 22. And Jesus said to him, Here's the answer. What is the greatest commandment? He said to him, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, in his first response, Jesus simply quoted what Moses said in Deuteronomy 6.5, which is the Pentateuch, which is the Torah. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, love God first. Love God first. And Moses said it, and Jesus simply reiterated. He simply restated it. You love, what's the answer? What is the great command? You love God first. Just love God, right? The second part of the answer came in verse 39. And a second is like it, Jesus said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I had you underline that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the command simply this. Love God, love others. And once again, in his second response, Jesus did not contradict Moses. What he said was he simply reiterated his answer was he simply reiterated the commands that God gave to Moses. If you look at Le Leviticus 19, verse 18, this was one of the commands. This was in that list that you saw scroll through. It went so fast you didn't even see it, did you? Leviticus 19, 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Right? And this is the definitive statement on love in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, there's a story. There's another story in the Gospel of Luke that tells us of a, another conversation that Jesus had with a lawyer. And we don't know if it's the same lawyer or if it was a different lawyer. My guess it was the same lawyer because the topic is very similar. But here's what the lawyer wanted to know. Take a look at Luke chapter 10, verse 29. And it says here, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, the reason, the reason the lawyer asked Jesus this question, who is my neighbor, is because he surmised that Jesus, since Jesus was commanding him to love his neighbor as himself, he was a typical lawyer, right? Well, who's my neighbor then? If you want me to love my neighbor as myself, then I need to know the definition of neighbor. Give me the definition of neighbor. What's, who is my neighbor? Now, here's what's interesting. Religious Jews, they weren't very neighborly. They didn't like their neighbors unless their neighbor was another religious Jew. I mean, they, they weren't neighborly. They were downright hostile. They were judgmental. They, they were self-righteous. They thought they had it all. They didn't like Gentiles. They didn't like sinners. They didn't like prostitutes. We see that in the Gospels, right, when you read the Gospels. Every time Jesus had a meal with a prostitute or a sinner, they despise him like, oh, it's disgusting, that's sick, how could he do that, right? And, and Jesus answers this question, who is my neighbor? He answers this question by telling a story. And here's the story, starting in verse 30, verse 30. Again, this is Luke 10. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and, and departed, leaving him half dead. And I love these little illustrations that I found that kind of shows what happened. So here's this guy, this man walking from J Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and he gets held up. And they beat him up. They strip off his clothes, and they leave him for dead. And then verse 31 says, And now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, when he saw this man, he passed by him on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And this will stop right there. So here are these two religious 
figures, a priest and a Levite, a priest and a Levite were, meant that they served in the temple of God. They were servants in the temple of God. In other words, they were professional holy men. They were as religious as religious can be. They, they were, and they see this poor guy, and instead of helping him, here, these two religious guys, instead of helping him, they walk across the street so they could avoid him and not have anything to do with him, no contact whatsoever. Why? Because they didn't consider him to be their neighbor. He's not my neighbor. The, the man probably was a Jew, but for whatever reason, maybe he wasn't religious enough, and so they completely shined him on. Now take a look at what happens next. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, circle Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34 says, And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he took him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is equivalent to two days' wages, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Let me tell you something about the Samaritan. Samaritans were offsprings of, of Jews and, who had intermarried with Gentiles. In other words, a Samaritan was a half-Jew and a half-Gentile. And it was not okay for Jews to, to intermarry, but they, but they did. And, and there was nothing worse I mean, the worst thing that you could ever do in the eyes of a Jew was to, to marry someone who wasn't a Jew. And that's who a Samaritan was because Samaritan was somebody who wasn't 100% Jew. And that was like, you know, they were, they were contaminated. That was disgusting. And so Samaritan was be avoided at all costs because they're not 100% Jew. Which is why Samaritans were forced to live in their own segregated community called Samaria. And so here's this man who has been beaten and robbed and left for dead stripped naked practically, and along come the two religious Jews and they see him sprawled out on the road. And what do they do? They split. They go to the other side to completely avoid him. And then a Samaritan walks by. And what does he do? He stops, takes pity on the man, patches him up, puts him up in an inn, and then he gives the innkeeper some extra cash to take care of him while he's away. And then Jesus asks this zinger of a question. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which one was really neighborly? And the lawyer answered rightly, verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. See, it was the Samaritan who was the good neighbor because he looked down at this downtrodden man and he didn't judge him like the other two. He saw the Samaritan, saw this man as a fellow human being, as someone who was created in the image of God, a man who was in great need, who was in dire straits, who was hurting, and so he helped him. And really, the takeaway truth from this here is that our neighbor is anybody with whom we cross paths. Your neighbor isn't simply the person you live next door to, the one on your right and the one on your left and the one across the street from you. Your neighbor is anyone with whom you cross paths. And it doesn't matter 
who they are or where they're from or how old or how young they are, how rich or how poor. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter what their political views are, whether they're a Democrat, a Republican, or an Independent. Your neighbor is anyone with whom you cross paths with on any given day. It is the stranger standing in line in front of you at Coffee Bean. It is your mail carrier or your UPS delivery guy. It is the young lady or the young man who hands you your order when you go through Chick-fil-A or McDonald's. It is the person you sit next to on a plane. It is the people you work with. It is the people you go to school with. It is the people you share the road with. It is the people you attend church with. And that means everyone in this room is your neighbor. So why don't you turn to the person next to you, turn to somebody you don't know, and say, hi, neighbor. Would you just do that right now? Turn to somebody next to you and say, hi, neighbor. Okay, that's enough. I have a message to preach, right? Jesus said we are to love others like we love ourselves, right? That's because, of course, how do we love, right? How do we love our neighbor? We love them like we love ourselves. So pretend for a moment that I'm the guy who just got beaten and robbed. And, uh, and I'm the guy in Luke 19. Now, just to spice up the story, I'm not going to take my clothes off because this guy was stripped, but I'm not going to do that. You don't want to see that. But imagine, just to spice up the story, so I've just been beaten and robbed, right? And... And uh, imagine that I've been living on the streets. And just to uh, play it more effectively, to play the part more effectively, I didn't brush my teeth this morning. <gasps> and I haven't taken a shower in the last two days, and I didn't use deodorant this morning, okay? How do you love me like you love yourself? How do you love me like you love yourself. Well, you can love me like you love yourself if, when you look at me, you see you. You can love me like you love yourself when you look at me and you don't see me, you see you. And when you see you, what are you thinking in terms of Walking in my shoes. What, what, what do you want for yourself when you see you, if you were me? Well, you'd sure like a toothbrush and toothpaste, and you'd probably like a bar of soap, and we'd love to take a shower and maybe a fresh set of clothes. And maybe you like a nice, hot, warm meal. And maybe for someone to patch up your wounds and to just care. See, you can love your neighbor like you love yourself if when you see your neighbor, you don't see you. Or you don't see them, but you see you. You see yourself. Last weekend, I took the girls, we, we had a day off and and so we said, well, let's do something. What do you want to do? And said, well, let's go get, let's go walk around Abbott Kinney. So it's kind of this little foo-foo, artsy street down in West L.A. 
And so we drove down there, I think it was Saturday afternoon. And we took the dogs and we're standing there getting, we, we, we got a little pizza. And I didn't tell this story last night because I, I, I wasn't convicted about it until after I gave the message last night. And I, then I thought about this. But there was a guy there, and I didn't, even, I didn't even tell this to mention this to Kylie or Natalie or, or Cheryl at the time, but there was this guy, and I was walking the dogs along the sidewalk while the girls were finishing up their pizza, and, and this young guy, and he looked pretty disheveled, came and he just sat down um, on a bench right on the sidewalk. And, and he, just, he just did this. And he looked... And I looked at him, and his eyes were open, but I looked at him, and I just thought, he looks so sad. And I just kept walking by. And I came back again, and he was still there, and I thought, I wonder if I should say something to him. He just looks so sad. And I wish I could tell you that before we left, that I talked to him and I prayed for him, but I didn't. I felt terrible about it, especially after this message last night. You know, John Piper put it this way. He said, to love your neighbor as yourself demands that we, quote, tear the skin off our bodies and wrap it around the other person so that we feel like we are that other person. And all the desires that we have for our own safety and health and success and happiness, we now feel for that other person as though they were us. That's what it is, that we literally take our skin off ourselves and we wrap it around somebody. It might be a homeless person. It might be a disabled person. It might be a special needs person. It might be somebody you don't like very much at your workplace, and you wrap your skin around them, and you look at them as if they are you. That's how we are to love each other. That's what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that's this is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. Can you imagine then, can you imagine what would happen if we all started loving just like Jesus told us to love? Because I'll tell you, I don't love like that. Can you imagine if we all started loving the way Jesus told us to love? We would change the world. We would change the world. Well, finally, Jesus wrapped up his answer with his extraordinary statement, verse 40, I'll put it up here for you again. He said, on these two command, commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Depend all the law and the prophets. Would you just underline law and the prophets? Now, this phrase is found only, the law and the prophets found only in the New Testament because it refers to everything in the Old Testament. The law and the prophets refers to the Old Testament. And of course, we know the law, right? We know the law. 639 commands, right? That's the law, right? So this refers to the law and the prophets, the great prophets. And Jesus said that the two commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, depend on the law and the prophets. The word depend means to hang on in the Greek. means to hang on. Therefore, and I like the NIV translation a little bit better than the ESV. The NIV translation says, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
And the idea here is that all of the 613 Mosaic commandments that were given to us in the Old Testament, and all of it, all of it, all 613 can be distilled down to these two commandments. Can be distilled down to these two commandments, love God and love others. Everything can be boiled down to these two commandments. Everything can be simplified. Everything that you know, everything in the Old Testament can be simplified in this, in this way. Just love God and love others. That's God's message. In other words, if all you ever did in your entire life was to love God and love others, you would nail it. You would have it down. That's all you need to do. You know, it's amazing to me that after all those treks up and down the mountain, you know how hard that must have been? No hiking boots, probably wearing sandals. I mean, this is crazy. Up and down, all that hard work of writing down 613 commands on how the Jews ought to live. Jesus comes and he sums that all up and says, just do, but just do these three, two things, love God and love others. And I can just hear Moses now. Jesus, are you kidding me? After all that work, 613 commands, you made me write it all down. I don't even have a tablet to write it on. And it all gets down to these two things. Love God and love others. I can just hear him say that now. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Galatians, Galatians 5, 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Paul didn't even cite both commandments. He simply cited the second one. The whole law. 613 commands, the whole law, fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if that's it, if it's just, if it all gets down to this, begs the question, how important is this one commandment? Are these two commandments? How important is it that we love our neighbor as ourselves? How important is it? To be honest with you, I don't think there's anything more important. I don't think there's anything more important than that. We are to love God, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, one man that's doing that today is Tim Tebow. Man, I love this guy. He didn't make it as a quarterback in the NFL because he's doing something more important. He's loving his neighbor as himself. Three years ago, I think it was three years ago, he came up with the idea of putting on, of hosting a prom for special needs kids. Now, probably many of you have gone to the prom. And I know, I think Natalie's here. She's probably saying, you're saying the prom again. It's like, there's, there is a definite article in front of prom, right? The prom. No, and she always says, no, it's, there's no definite article. It's just prom. It's like, oh. Okay, so most of you <laughs> drive me nuts. I was a journalism major. Um, <laughs> most of you have probably been to prom. But how many special needs kids have ever been asked to prom? Who would ask a special needs kid? Somebody who has Down syndrome. Who would ever ask a kid who has Down syndrome to go to prom? Probably no one. And so Tim Tebow came up with the idea of putting on a prom for special needs kids. He called it a night to shine. And since he couldn't pull it off on his own, he, he got a bunch of churches, just a handful of churches to start with the first year, just a handful. And, and they, 
they paid for everything. They paid for the gowns and they paid for the girls to get their hair done and they paid for the flowers and they paid for the limo and the red carpet and the food and, and the musicians and everything and they put this thing on and, and then just in the last couple of years, it's just starting to explode and more churches are finding out about this and they're signing up and they say, we want to do this, we want to help, we want to do this and so for this year, for last year's, I believe it was last year, 2017, uh, Night to Shine, they had 500 churches 150,000 volunteers and like 90,000 people go to Night to Shine. And I want to show you a quick little video of what this is like. Thank you for your concern. Thank you for your support. If you understand me, I will make a wish I was at home. I will never feel out of place. Every heartland, farm town, fence post on. Every West Coast big break queen All you high-rise skyline concrete kids Every zip code in between Grab your first time front porch pounding heart And gas up your Chevrolet Cause the suns have gone and it won't be long Till we make our getaway This is our time Our night to shine Oh, take my hand Grab your favorite pair of denim, patch up knees and faded blue. Four two twin is in your pocket, kiss your mama at the door. Take a picture, perfect postcard, send it out across the world. This is our
is our night, this is our night This is our night, this is our night to shine This is our night, this is our night This is our night to shine One guy, outrageous love, love your neighbor as yourself, and in a couple years, it's going around the world. Wouldn't it be great if we did one of those here? I checked into the 2018 uh, Night to Shine, <coughs> and uh, I think we're a little too late because it's coming up on uh, February 9th. So maybe next year, unless we can get them to do another one for this year. Uh, and I checked. There are only a handful of churches in Southern California that I could tell. I mean, there's, only, there's one in L.A., uh, and there's nothing in the South Bay. But wouldn't it be great? But here's the thing. We don't need to, we don't need to wait to do Night to Shine to love our neighbor as ourself. There are people all around you. There are people in this church who are hurting who just need a hug, who need to be loved. There are people in your community, there are people you work with that, that need that. And so, again, I want to challenge you. Stay with us the next six weeks. Join a small group because here's why I want you to join a small group. We're asking every small group to come up with their own outrageous love project. Every small group come up with your own outrageous love project. We want you to put your heads together and figure out how it is you as a group can come up with an idea to share love with somebody else. Now, I don't know what that is. I'm going to leave it up to you. We're not putting any parameters on it. Maybe you might say, let's just do a mini night to shine for a couple of kids and we're going to take them out on the town and do something special with them. Or maybe it's deciding as a group that you're going to go to the, to the L.A. mission and serve homeless people every single weekend for the duration of this series. Whatever it is, we're going to leave it up to you. And so that's why it's so important to be part of a group. In fact, last night, um, Cheryl and I were even talking. We were saying, you know what, we should do our own little family uh, love project, an outrageous love project. Let's see if we can, the four of us can figure out something that we can do for somebody and just love on them. So will you do that? Join a small group. In fact, I was talking to some of our prayer team people on, who were here early, and I said, maybe for Tuesday night, we have, a, we have such a great prayer group on Tuesday night. Let's see our prayer group, maybe our prayer group can come together, and maybe we can do one too. Let's come up with a, a love project of our own that we can come together so we can love on other people. And I'll tell you more about the love project next week, but can you imagine what would happen if we unleashed the love of God through this church, upon people all around us, we would change the world. And that's what God commanded us to do. That's what Jesus said we ought to do. He summed it all up. Don't worry about the 613. Just remember these two. Love God. Love others. Let's do that, church. Let's do that. Love God and love others. It'll change us and we'll change the world. Let's close our time in prayer. Father, it just uh, 
absolutely amazes me. That everything you ever taught and you ever said can be distilled down to these two things. That we would love you and we would love others. God, forgive me. Because sometimes I don't do either very well. Forgive us. Because it's so easy for us to get wrapped up on our own little in our own little worlds. To be annoyed and to be frustrated by people. The way they drive or the way they act or the things that they do, even in our own families. We get short and impatient. I'm the worst at that. God, help us. I pray, God, you change us. I pray that today would be, be the beginning of something transformative in us in South Bay. That we would love you with all of our hearts. As we just finished off that series, Who Am I? That we would follow you, that we would worship you, that we would serve you, love you. And now, that we would love others. Help us when we look at somebody, not to see them, but to see us. And to love them how we would love ourselves. Change us, God. And then use us for your glory. Bring glory and honor to your name. And we go out there in love. Thank you, Father. We love you so much. And we do this only because you first loved us. Help us to love you and others. In Jesus' name, amen.